Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. On this week's podcast, I'm joined by the journalist and broadcaster Andrew Greystone. He's written a comment piece for this week's Church Times on digital culture and his new book is Too Much Information, 10 Essential Questions for Digital Christians. It's published by Canterbury Press, and you can buy it from the Church Times Bookshop for the special offer price of £10.39. Andrew, welcome to the Church Times Podcast. Thanks very much, Ed. Um, First of all, obvious question, what prompted you to write this book? Um, It's an area that I've been thinking about for a long time. Clearly, we've moved uh, into what we're calling the digital era, perhaps what we ought to call the first digital era. Um, We've moved beyond the era when broadcasting was king and television and radio were uh, the, the, the major cultural forces into a new era where so much of our lives is played out online. There are two challenges for, for Christians, I think. One, of course, is how do we use that new technology um, for the purposes of the Christian faith? And we could talk about that. But for me, there's been quite a lot of uh, experimentation and um and work in in that area what's less in evidence is the thinking that we need to do about digital culture and how it's changing us as people so the big question for me was not uh, what can we do with digital culture but what is digital culture doing to us and for me those are really big questions that they're 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 shaking the foundations and we're we're seeing the foundations of our culture shaken in all sorts of ways at the moment but we haven't quite made the connection that the shift in the ways that we communicate is a part of that and that throws up uh, political questions uh, and it certainly throws up theological questions uh, which I'm sure we'll go into a bit. Mm. You talk in your comment piece this week and in the book about how we we think we're shaping the world by use of digital technology and, and empowered by it but actually you say the technology is actually shaping us and it's doing something to us. Yeah, it was Marshall McLuhan who, who said that um, every time human beings use a tool, the tool acts on us as well as doing the job that we, that we wanted it to. And that's true for uh, media as well. Um, the example that I give in the, in the comment piece in the uh, Church Times this week is about Alexa, which is the, the little kind of house robot that lots of people increasingly have sitting on the... Uh, on the side at home and you ask it questions and it gives you um, answers. But the question is for me is, are we actually dumbing down in the questions that we can ask so that Alexa has the answers for them? Are we limiting ourselves in the things that we ask to the things that we know a computer can can answer you know Alexa or any old computer cannot answer the biggest questions in life can't deal with them so increasingly we tend to kind of just frame out the the things that technology can't do for us and regard them as unimportant compared to the things that we can count another example would be we we talk a lot about um, there's an expression the quantified self what it means is we're we're trying to count everything about ourselves. We wear little Fitbit bracelets and count the number of steps we do, and count our heart rates and count the number of hours we sleep and, and all those things that we can count. And we look at them at the end of the day and say, well, has it been a good day or a bad day? And a good day is more than 10,000 steps and a bad day is too high a heart rate or whatever. But actually, 
human beings are about a whole lot more than those things that we can count. Uh, you can't yet get a Fitbit that counts kindness, or sadness, or love, or joy, or sorrow, or even prayer. So what we tend to do culturally is say, okay, well, the things that we count, that we can count are the things that are really important. And the things that we can't count, we better leave them as uh, leave them aside as being less important. And I, I think that's a, a, a major trend in our culture that we need to be very aware of. Uh, um, and so I wrote the book really to, to help Christians, all Christians, um, but particularly Christians who've got some kind of who are thoughtful and got some kind of leadership role, to think through some of those bigger cultural questions that digital culture is throwing up for us. You write about how digital technology comes without a context. Yeah. Can you explain that a bit and what the consequences are of that? Yeah. Uh, let me give you an example. If you take a book off the, off the library shelf, that book has the text of the, uh, that the writer has written printed in it, but it also has a whole lot of other information that's contained in the object itself. So you take a book off the library shelf and it's like it's a bit dusty. So it clearly you work out that it hasn't been taken off for a time or the pages are yellowed or it's got somebody's scribblings in the margins. It's got a whole lot more information than just the text. If you put that book uh, online, put it in a digital context, all that peripheral information, all that contextual information is lost the text itself will remain exactly the same and it will remain the same in a hundred years, uh, but it will come without any additional context. The same is true, so supposing we have a, a remote meeting by something like Skype or Zoom, one of those technologies where you can have your meetings, we'll have a, a certain amount of information passed between us. We'll be able to see two-dimensional pictures of each other, we'll still be able to hear the tone of our voice, but there's a whole lot of other information that we would have if we were face to face that we that you, that can't transmit digitally. Um, so what we do is we compress the uh, uh, our expectations. We dumb ourselves down. We say, well, we'll we'll count as important only the things that we can transmit digitally. So you know we know that a Skype meeting is great and useful and cuts down on our air miles or our petrol use or whatever but we also know that a face-to-face -face meeting is a much richer experience that carries much more information we're at risk i think of losing some of that wider information that is really important because we stop valuing it i think you write in the book about how you know we our bodies do matter in christian theology physicality matters our bodies matter and um People thinking with digital technology, they can project a, a self or a personality that is disembodied. Yeah, we're in a situation now where um, we can communicate with each other remotely and we do it all the time. We do it through social media like Facebook or Instagram or, or Twitter. We project personalities, uh, personas. Um, teenagers work intensely to uh, hone the, um, and filter the, the, the image that they, that they want to... Uh, project, but it happens in a, a hundred other ways as well. You know, I have a, a a bank account that is entirely digital, so my bank account, my my bank doesn't know me as a person in any way at all. They only really know me as a few lines of computer code um, that are that are meaningless until somebody translates them. What we're doing is projecting aspects of ourselves 
in a disembodied way. Now, we've always done that to some extent. If you send someone a letter, you're sending a bit of yourself in a disembodied way. Um, But the digital environment takes that to the max and removes the significance of our embodied meeting. Now, for Christians, bodies are fantastically important. And that seems like an odd thing to say, but I think that one of the most important things that Christians are going to have to speak about and hang on to is the importance of human bodies. Christianity is a a faith that is entirely based on uh, the embodied presence of God, that God became human, took on a human body and lived and died. And, and, and the body is at the heart of what it is to be a Christian. Um, we believe, although we barely talk about it now, we believe in the resurrection of the body. Most of us now kind of discount the significance of our body so much that we, we barely kind of remember or understand what that might mean. And so we're in this uh, really odd situation in digital culture where uh, we invest a huge amount in our bodies, we go to the gym uh, and try to perfect them um, or we uh, decorate them with tattoos um, or, or, or with makeup or we give great attention to how we dress them. So we think the body is, at the one, on the one hand, we think it's really um, important, but we also think the body is entirely temporary and therefore unimportant. Now, Christianity has an almost opposite message. It says that um, the body that you occupy, it doesn't really matter what it looks like. Um, It doesn't need additional decoration. And yet it is fantastically important because it's through our bodies that we meet God and it's through our bodies that we meet each other. Um, So we're finding ourselves in a really odd situation where I think one of the important messages of the Christian gospel is that your body matters. And I I, want to be able to highlight that in an age when disembodied communication has become so significant. The Church of England and other churches are putting a lot of investment and resources into digital media, thinking this is a way to reach people with the gospel, to um, help Christians grow in their sort of discipleship and faith. Um, Are there any dangers attached to that when Um, communication becomes disembodied can the gospel be communicated in a sort of disembodied way or does it need the person present physically Um, i'm sure it needs both i'm sure it needs both i mean the church of england's um, digital work is fantastic and award-winning and there's been some really imaginative and creative um, work going on um, headed up by the church's digital team but also kind of flowing out in all sorts of other areas with, uh, with lay people and individual individual churches doing great things with digital technology and i you know this is an amazing age to live in like i think st paul wouldn't st paul have loved to live in the digital age he'd have been podcasting his sermons and we'd have we'd all be studying st paul's 394th email to the corinthians um he'd have been absolutely unstoppable disagreeing over its meaning we were we would yes um it's a fantastic missional and communications tool. And yet we also need to think about what the impact is um, on us. How much of the gospel can you represent in a disembodied way? Um, 
you can the digital culture is very good at telling stories so that's great we can use it to tell stories digital culture is very good at provoking argument and debate so we can use it for that digital culture is not brilliant at hugs it's not great at feeding the poor it's not good at housing the homeless now it can be used as a tool for all of those things but it's not a replacement for any of those things so if we you know there's this little catch at the end of i think it's the letter to the hebrews where um the writer says don't give up the habit of meeting together and you think oh that's a funny thing to say who's ever going to give up the habit of meeting together and yet here we are in digital culture thinking well we could have a an online church we wouldn't actually have to schlep out in the rain and uh, and meet each other and actually the gospel says no don't give up the habit of meeting together because being in the same place is fantastically important and that's going to have loads of consequences for the ways that we organize uh, church life challenges for the ways that we do church is there something about also meeting together that um church is often not necessarily a convenient time it might be raining it, it whereas digital culture can be tailored to your own needs and it suits what, yeah. what you want so there's a sort of countercultural challenge there is there for the church that the way we meet together doesn't tie in with digital culture it's not just about my convenience yeah and my convenience in digital culture is is all that there is it's all about tailoring an experience to me so I could create a church of people just like me you know bald-headed Stockport County supporters uh, who grew up in the south of England and there wouldn't be many of us but there'd be enough for a decent house group and we could find each other and we could relate without ever having met each other and then we that that group of people being entirely in agreement on a number of things what actually happens is that i go out to a church at half past 10 on a sunday morning when i'd probably rather have a lie-in and i meet a bunch of people who are not like me and we gather round bread and wine and in that physicality of the meeting and the physicality of the bread and wine we say actually we are like one another in all the ways that matter even though some people are much smarter than me and some people are much richer than me and others are much poorer than me um the the physicality of the of our meeting together as a um as a mixed group doing an inconvenient thing together really matters to our church life you do talk in the book about how you have uh, attended as it were an online church yeah, or a yeah virtual church could you could you say a bit about that what the experience was like whether you'd encourage others to try it out yeah i mean i've been to a number of online churches let me tell you about a couple of experiences i can remember going to a uh, an online church that i was part of for a while and we met and we had a kind of worship together that was conducted through text and we listened to music and we listened to sermons and we sort of prayed together. And then after the service, after the worship, we uh, we used to chat together. And I can remember one evening, uh, one of the people in the chat was clearly quite upset. And she was upset because she was a woman from Merseyside and she had a daughter with really quite severe autism that made the little girl uh, quite violent, aggressive and um, unable to sleep. And this woman had come to online church um, partly because 
taking her daughter, getting to church with, with her daughter, getting to real life church was almost impossible. An online church was a, a great option for her. And when we met her, she was pretty much at her wit's end. And a little group of us sort of gathered round her. I say sort of because, you know, I was in Manchester, someone else was in New Zealand, someone was in America. But we sort of gathered round and we listened to her and we sort of prayed for her. We really did pray for her. And it, it was a really special kind of meeting, the kind of pastoral moment that re- only rarely really occurs in in real life church. But I came away from that thinking, well, hang on a minute. We have, we've, we've prayed with her and talked with her, but nobody's been able to put their arm around her or go and offer to cook for her. And actually, when I step back from it, I don't entirely know whether she was a woman or was in Merseyside or had an autistic daughter at, at all. So it's a, an odd experience. Online church can do some things that real life church can't manage, but there are some things that it really can't do. And it also raises questions about how we organise church life. I, um, I remember going to a worship service, um, uh, it was in Durham, and I went to a service in a church in Second Life, which is a virtual uh, environment that you visit online. And we were worshipping together, a little group of us, and uh, it came to the end of it. And I was talking to the to Tom Wright, who was then Bishop of Durham, who was there. And I said to him, who was the bishop for that service? Because there we were meeting in Durham, where he was bishop. But the service was being led in New Zealand. And the server that it was being uh, routed through was in California. Uh, so... Who was the bishop? And of course, there is no good answer because there's no bishop of the internet because the way we've structured our church life for 2,000 years has all been about geography. First of all, it was you went to the church that you could walk to. Then you went to the church that you could drive to, which opened a few more possibilities. But now we can go to a church of people that just like us, the church that, that, that suits us. We can create non-geographical communities and that has all sorts of implications for the parish system, which is so core to the Church of England, uh, for the episcopate, which is all geographically based. Where is authority in a in an online church? And the, these are questions that don't only apply to the church. They they are symptoms of the wider digital culture that we're now living and working in and they're raising a whole bunch of questions that we need to address so for me the core question is not just um uh, how can we podcast our church's sermons or how can we build a decent website you know those are easy things if you want to know the answer to those practical questions just ask a teenager they'll know how to do it the big questions are um what are the fundamental things that digital culture is doing to us what, in, what do you think the future is for the parish? Is it difficult to tell with this digital culture? It's only going to evolve faster and faster. Um, that sense of meeting up in, in a place, will that be a sort of something bygone, something from a bygone era? Well, I really hope not, because um, I, I want to emphasise the real significance of meeting in embodied personhood. You know, I belong to lots of communities now, lots of online communities, um, social media groups, um, all, all sorts of groupings that meet in those disembodied ways. But I would want to say that my 
primary community, uh, the people who need to matter most to me are the neighbours who live up and down my street and the people I meet with week by week over physical bread being broken and physical wine being poured. So there's an opportunity there, there's a missional opportunity, not only to use digital culture, digital technology to reach out to people in mission, but also to reassert the significance of our embodied meeting with our real life neighbours. What, what would justice look like in a digital culture that some people may do better than others? That's, that's a brilliant question. We are looking towards uh, a situation where some people are digitally rich and some people are digitally poor. And lo and behold, the people who are rich in digital culture are likely to be the people who were rich in pre-digital culture. And the people who are poor are likely to be the people who are poor in pre-digital culture. So people who've got money are going to be able to afford high quality digital content that comes to them with a high level of integrity. People who don't have money will still be given access to digital content. It's just that it'll come to them through the filters, through the commercial filters um, that, uh, that the industry wants to put on them. So you'll be able to get news but you'll get the news that is given to you along with the advertising that is given to you um, by the people who are providing that free content for you. We've already seen that doing damage in all sorts of situations around the world. And it's, it's you know, that use of digital power, um, both commercially and democratically, is a worrying feature of elections for instance or of international relations that we're only just beginning to deal with and so what I'm trying to do in in writing this book is not answer all of those things because they're we're not quite at that stage but to try and point people to some of those fundamental questions that we're going to have to ask ourselves about what Christian faith and practice looks like in the digital age. Fantastic thank you. Thanks very much Ed. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode. Mm-hmm.